0: Welcome to another episode of Cracking Addiction. My name is Thalipa Naren, and I'm a GP and Addiction Medicine Advanced Trainee here in Melbourne. And as always, I'm joined by Dr. Fergal Armstrong, who's a GP, as well as being an addiction specialist and lifestyle medicine specialist. Fergal, good to be on the show with you again.
1: Great to be here again, thank you.
0: So today we're gonna be talking in a bit more detail about alcohol withdrawal management and the practicalities of alcohol withdrawal. There's usually two ways we can differentiate alcohol withdrawal. There's residential withdrawal and outpatient, home-based or community withdrawal, whichever title you want to talk about it. So, Fergal, I thought we'd start off talking about outpatient withdrawal, so home-based withdrawal. What would be some of the main aspects that we need to consider about home-based or outpatient withdrawal?
1: I think the most important aspect is patient choice. You need to have a clear understanding of what kind of patients uh, can be safely provided with non residential uh, alcohol withdrawal. And there are a number of factors, things like you know, uh, monosubstance dependencies of just so no other alcohol dependency, no significant mental health disorders, no significant comorbidities in terms of physical health. And also, there are some situational or environmental factors. So, for instance, you need the presence of another responsible adult during the withdrawal. You need a safe, drug-free house during the withdrawal. You need to be able to see the patient every day during the withdrawal, and the patient's got to be contactable at all times. So each of those, in turn, then, um, you know, it, it entails further consideration. So, Philippa, let's go back to the patient factors. So you know mono substance is that is that an issue do you think
0: it very well can be there are people for whom alcohol is the one and only substance that they use mm. but practically speaking a lot of patients that i see are polysubstance users so alcohol is just one of the substances they're using mm. and in a situation like that i would be very reluctant to do a home based withdrawal just due to the risks of harms of some of the medications that we would giving for the withdrawal management which we'll get to later on in the episode Mm. but yes there are also quite a few people who are mono substance users whereas alcohol is the one and only substance they use and a situation like that exactly as you mentioned Fergal you risk stratify the patient and make sure that they're able to comply with an outpatient program and I must say although in Australia um, home-based or outpatient uh, withdrawal management probably isn't as popular as in other parts of the Western world. With the right patient selection, it is a very safe, worthwhile and effective intervention. Mm. And it is something I think we should be doing more of in this country. Would you agree?
1: Uh, yeah, definitely. I think I think with the right choice, with the right approach, it is definitely a safe uh, therapeutic option. But going back to some of the uh, inclusion exclusion factors... What kind of physical and psychological comorbidities would mean that you would be preferring to put a patient into a residential rather than non-residential withdrawal?
0: I think if someone had a psychotic disorder, schizophrenia, severe depression or anxiety, mild depression or anxiety would not be an exclusion criteria in my book if the patient was well-managed, well-medicated and stable. But if someone has severe uh, psychiatric conditions where the stresses and pressures of undergoing withdrawal, and bear in mind, withdrawal is a very unpleasant situation. Well, it is can so be. So if we're putting <laughs> someone, well, it can be, sorry. <laughs> but if we're going to put stresses on someone who's vulnerable, yeah. we want to make sure that they're robust enough to go through that. So if I have concerns that the psychological or psychiatric condition could be flared by undergoing withdrawal management, then I think a residential withdrawal is probably the safest aspect. Uh, Is that Hmm. your practice as well, Fergal?
1: Yeah, pretty much so. What's your view on borderline personality disorder? Is that an absolute contraindication to a home-based detox? What do you think?
0: To me, no. Hmm. It's not. Um, As with any condition, borderline personality disorder, complex trauma, those conditions exist on a spectrum. And if someone's on the far extreme of the spectrum, so uh, quite unstable, uh, who's at risk of self-harm, then of course I would want them to be more closely monitored and I would opt for a residential withdrawal management. However, I find, especially with a lot of patients with borderline personality disorder, the more you explain the process to them, decrease the uncertainty uh, about the withdrawal management process itself. Uh, A lot of the time for patients with borderline personality disorder, the thing that is most stressful is the uncertainty of a condition or a management plan. Explaining things in detail, answering questions, showing where help is available. I don't think just the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder should exclude someone from a home-based withdrawal. Uh,
1: That's an important point to make. The diagnosis per se is not an automatic exclusion. And as you say, it's all about understanding the continuum of severity. Uh, What about uh, things like the physical comorbidities, cardiorespiratory disease and hepatorenal disease? Where where do you stand on on those issues and home-based detox?
0: I must admit it does depend on the condition. uh, For a condition such as say severe sleep apnea, for someone with significant liver impairment or renal impairment, I must admit I would probably prefer a residential withdrawal for a patient like that. And that is again for patient safety. We are using medications that are sedative, that can accumulate in the body if the liver function is not optimal. So for patients who have pretty significant cardiac, respiratory, liver, renal conditions, my main focus is patient safety in this. If I can go along with the patient and their desire for a home-based withdrawal, I will do my best, but the main issue is safety. And if I feel safety cannot be guaranteed, I will pass on my apologies to the patient, but say my recommendation is a residential withdrawal.
1: Yeah, and I think it's important to have those clear safety boundaries because it's very easy to be swayed one way or t'other other um, and make the wrong choice when you lose sight of, you know, the first ethical principle in medicine, which is primum non-knockery, first, do no harm, you know? Absolutely. Safety is paramount, yeah.
0: And, and sometimes I find doctors can get, I don't want to use the word sucked in, but we sometimes see patients who are quite desperate and they come to us and say, Doctor, please, I'm, I'm going to stop drinking soon. I need you to help me do a home-based detox now. And yeah. in a situation well, like rather, that...
1: For... <laughs> what about Doctor? I've already stopped drinking. <laughs> please start me on the Valium and it's Friday, four o'clock. You know, that's, that's actually a very good point. What, what would you do in that situation? Someone comes into your surgery or to your clinic yeah, you're I, kind of vaguely aware of them, but you're not, you don't know them that well. And they say to you, I've stopped drinking. You need to help me now and give me valiant for the weekend to get over my alcohol. What do you I do? Think, what would you recommend?
0: I think this is a highly dangerous area that we're treading into. Mm. Home-based withdrawals, by definition, are planned procedures. So we've yeah. risk stratified the patient, we've organised what we're going to do, we've organised when they're going to come in to see us and we've set an end date for treatment. When things like this pop up, and sometimes you do see it, I've seen a couple of patients be given large quantities of diazepam with no supervision for home-based withdrawal and uh, you know, my, I, I blanch when I see things like that. In a situation like this, when we feel that we're being pushed, I think safety is the main thing. I would tell the patient, look, I'm going to have to risk stratify you for a home-based withdrawal. This is not a rushed procedure. And sometimes you may have to say to the patient, I can't help you today in the way that you would like me to help you. Mm. I can provide some supports for you. I can organise some AOD counselling. But with regards to a home-based withdrawal, Once I've risk stratified you and figured out what we can do, then maybe we can support it, but today might not be that day. And explain in detail your reasons and rationale, because I find the road to hell, as we know, is paved with good intentions. And with patients who are coming to us where we don't know their history, um, who've said they've stopped drinking, there's no guarantee that they are going to stop drinking once we've given them, say, a large quantity of Valium or something else along those
1: lines. Would, would you agree with that, Virgil? Totally, totally. And and you know, it's it's very difficult to say to someone face to face, no, you're not going to give you benzodiazepines today. And then they will also say to you, well what do you expect me to do, doctor? And as hard as it may sound, you actually have to tell them, well look, you cannot do your own withdrawal. Therefore I would recommend that you continue drinking, but not at the amounts or in the quantities that you would normally do, I would, I would recommend that you gradually reduce your alcohol use over time if that's something that you want to do, and we will certainly review you again, say Monday morning. But in the meantime, you need to continue drinking something. You cannot stop suddenly. Now those words, it's, <laughs> those words of mine have been misinterpreted frequently. To me, and I have been—it's been fed back to me by, from various sources—that I encourage alcoholics to drink alcohol, and I don't help them. Mm. It can be very difficult to say what needs to be said, but safety, premium non nockery needs to be borne in mind.
0: Absolutely. Now, going on to some of the practicalities of, say, a home-based withdrawal. What medications would you use, Fergal, and is there a protocol or paradigm that you use at all to manage patients for home-based withdrawal?
1: Well, I think that's a huge uh, discussion in and of itself. What medication do you use for any alcohol withdrawal? So, I mean, the fact that there are so many therapeutic options just speaks to the fact that that, um, we still don't truly understand the full extent of the management of alcohol withdrawal. But notwithstanding that, the tried and tested therapeutic intervention is benzos. benzodiazepines. Are proven to reduce symptom severity and reduce the progression to seizures and uh, transient uh, sorry uh, alcohol withdrawals, hallucinosis, and also delirium tremens. So it reduces the uh, incidence of uh, side of, of complications of alcohol withdrawal. And even after you've had a seizure, benzodiazepines will also reduce the risks of subsequent seizures. So they treat all aspects of uh, alcohol withdrawal. So the trick is to get the right benzodiazepine at the right dose at the right time. How one does that is an issue. So there there are various regimes. So you can, first of all, the choice of benzodiazepine. What what would you say to the choice of benzodiazepine, Philippine?
0: It does depend, again, on the patient. For most patients, it will be diazepam. Mm -hmm. However, for patients who've got significant liver impairment, so in the liver, diazepam is broken up into oxazepam and temazepam. When you've got significant liver failure, usually child QC liver cirrhosis, that can be impaired and with large quantities of diazepam that can build up in the body and cause sedation. So for patients with significant liver impairment, usually we would use oxazepam. So short answer, either diazepam or oxazepam are the conventionally used medications, uh, benzodiazepine medications for withdrawal management.
1: So you've mentioned oxazepam as an alternative to diazepam. Why would you? When would you consider oxazepam and why?
0: I would consider oxazepam in patients who have significant liver conditions or complications, mainly charles P. C. cirrhosis. Usually liver in the liver, uh, diazepam uh, undergoes phase one uh, metabolism uh, breakdown into oxazepam and temazepam. For patients with significant liver impairment, that does not occur and you can get a buildup of diazepam which can cause um, significant sed- sedatory effects to, to a patient. So mm-hmm. the long and short of it is we would use diazepam for the vast majority of patients and for patients with significant liver problems we would use oxazepam to guard against over sedation
1: so what i'm hearing then is that oxazepam does not undergo phase one metabolism because it is in of itself a product of phase one metabolism from diazepam so there's no phase one metabolism therefore it is less likely to accumulate in situations where phase one metabolism is knocked off and therefore it's safer. Is, is that right, Philippine? Correct. That's exactly right. All right. So we've agreed then that our go-to therapeutic intervention is a benzodiazepine, diazepam. How do you decide how much and when to give? What, what are the regimes that are available to us?
0: There's a lot of different regimens and We'll focus, I guess, we've talked mainly about home-based withdrawal management, so we'll talk about dosing for home-based withdrawal management because Mm -hmm. residential would be a different combination. There's different guidelines. There's the turning point guidelines. Um, There's different universities and hospitals have their own guidelines. But I think a good rule of thumb would probably be, it depends on the day. It would be daily pickup of the diazepam. But on day one, something along the lines of 5 to 15 milligrams, QID, or four times a day, day two, five to 10 milligrams, four times a day, day three, maybe 10 milligrams twice a day, and day four, something along the lines of five milligrams twice a day, and after that, potentially stop. That's just a, a rough rule of thumb. Is that Does that yeah. sound reasonable, Fergal?
1: Yeah, that does sound reasonable. So, you know, as you say, there are specific variations, but, you know, basically, you're talking about fixed dose scheduling. So you predetermine the dose. Yes, there may be a range, but you predetermine that dose range and it's tapering downwards. So it's quite high in the first couple of days and you're moderately high in the middle two or three days and then low and taper t- taper to zero in the last couple of days. So you're looking at a four to five day duration of, of um, giving benzodiazepines, which kind of equates to the Monday you start. So I, I like to start... Home-based alcohol detoxes on a Monday, and I like to finish them on a Friday. Which is why you can't really start at four o'clock on a Friday afternoon. So everything's, you know, for me, I think of a three-week schedule. Week one is all the planning. Week two starts on the Monday and ends on the Friday, and that's actually the detox, and then week three, you start initiating the relapse prevention. So you know that, that that's that's how i conceptualize the uh, the, the whole process it's not a rush job by any means but then that reminds me you know what 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 tests and investigations would you do on or what clinical assessment would you do for a patient before even initiating a, uh, an alcohol detox
0: i start off with the standard screening blood tests that we normally do for patients so i do a full blood examination kidney function Liver functions of particular importance because you would like to know where, what kind of um, where the liver impairments are and and how their liver mm-hmm. functions going. You could do a coagulation profile just to check the synthetic yeah. function of the liver as well. Yeah, you could do iron studies, um, uh, nutrient levels as well, B twelve folate. If you were so motivated, you could do a thymine as well. Liver ultrasound is probably not unreasonable, uh, and again. I think that's a good set of broad baseline screening tests. Um, you could probably throw in a few other nutrient tests or uh, values along the lines of you could do a calcium, magnesium, phosphate. But just a standard screening test, and we've got to be mindful that a lot of our patients who drink heavily can be quite malnourished, and we do need to guard against that as well. So it's good to do a good nutritional history and. If they might need extra thiamine, make sure that that's also prescribed for them while they're undergoing withdrawal management. Does that sound fair, Fergal?
1: Yeah, there's a number of points that I just want to focus on what you have just said. I mean, I agree with it totally. But, I mean, the, 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 the liver function, that's a, that's a great topic in and of itself. But I'm particularly looking for, first of all, the signs of alcohol exposure. So we're looking for GGT and also MCV rises. They'll tell you if you've got significant alcohol exposure. So, as you know, we'll discuss this in another episode. You can't really use Naltrexone if you've got significant transaminase rises. And then, as you've also mentioned, the um, the INR. To me, if someone's got a deranged INR, they really don't have much synthetic reserve. That, to me, would be a contraindication to a to a home based detox. I do not want that level of hepatic impairment being withdrawn at home. Um, yeah, the, the 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 other thing is. The, the risk of malnutrition. So, we know that people who are already pre malnourished are also at risk of or higher risk of Wernicke's encephalopathy. So, you really want to make sure you've got good baseline malnutrition. And you mentioned blood tests for the risk of Wernicke's. So, I've never actually done this, but theoretically, you can do um, red cell transketolase levels or plasma pyruvate levels, and the elevations suggest the risk of Wernicke's. I've never done it. But again, it's all about assessment and assessment also includes history. So if someone's drinking more than 15 units a day for years, they're at high risk of alcoholic uh, malnutrition. They're at risk of Wernicke's. If someone's um, already got pre-existing malabsorption for whatever reason, they're at risk. If someone's already thin, you know, you, 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 you're looking for someone who's, who's thin and hasn't, hasn't looked after themselves from a nutrition point of view they're at risk of Wernicke's. And you need to keep a sharp lookout for Wernicke's as as we've already discussed in previous videos. And then in terms of the therapy, we've discussed we're going to be using a home schedule, a home-based fixed-dose schedule of benzodiazepine. But it's not just benzodiazepines. We also need to include the consideration of thiamine in our management regime. So how how do you go about approaching thiamine dosing?
0: Thiamine is pretty poorly orally absorbed there's an mm. argument that for every 30 milligrams of thiamine you take up only about mm. five to four mil- four to five milligrams are actually absorbed i'm usually yeah. pretty aggressive with thiamine to be honest with you i usually mm. prescribe 100 milligrams three times a day orally if i'm going to be doing yeah. it in a withdrawal just so it's yeah. better absorbed um, yeah. It's a very important thing not to miss. And Wernicke's, I feel like you, Fergal, is underdiagnosed. And I think at post-mortem, we diagnose far more people with Wernicke's than we ever do <laughs> while people are still living, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And on that uh, cheerful note, I think we've crammed a lot into this episode. Uh, thank you again, viewers, for your patience with us. And uh, thank you for listening to the Cracking Addiction show. And we'll see you in the next episode. Bye for now.